0: Grace to you and peace to you from God our Father, through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. Our sermon text is the Gospel lesson for Epiphany, it's from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Please rise as we hear these words, in Jesus' name. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, when Herod was king, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, and they asked, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was alarmed, and all Jerusalem with him. He gathered together all the people's chief priests and experts in the law. He asked them where the Christ was to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, because this was written through the prophet, You, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are certainly not least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and found out from them exactly when the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. When you find him, report to me so that I may also go and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. Then the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them, until it stood still over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with overwhelming joy. After they went into the house and saw the child with Mary, his mother, they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Since they had been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they went back to their own country by another route. And we pray, O Lord, continue to guide and lead us to your Son, our Savior Jesus, and move our hearts to reverent worship and faith in him as you reveal him to us. Amen. Please be seated. The word epiphany. Epiphany means that something is revealed. Something is made known. New information has been shared. Insight has been given. Think of a light bulb that goes on over a head. Suddenly you are enlightened. You grasp and get something that, that you didn't get before. But what do people do with that revelation? With that epiphany? When people learn something new, there might be different reactions, and these can be drastically different reactions. We see that taking place here in our text, as God reveals the fact that his plan of salvation is now underway, as he reveals that the new king has been born. It's interesting because we see the characters in our text have different reactions to this epiphany. First of all, consider the reaction of King Herod. When the Magi show up in Jerusalem and they start asking, where's the newborn king of the Jews? We're told in our text that Herod was alarmed. He was troubled, stirred up, agitated. Think of a pot of water about to boil. King Herod, we know, even from secular history, he... He was incredibly paranoid, and he was power-hungry. And anything that would threaten his power, his rule, his authority, he would wipe it out. And so he didn't even feel bad about murdering his own wife, his own children, when he viewed them to be a threat to himself. Now these wise men show up, and they start asking about a new king. That's unwelcomed, unwanted news to this crazy, psycho Herod, and so he starts raging. This new king was a threat to him and to his own ego. Now, I think that there's application also for us. It's not just Herod. There are many people who look at Jesus and look at Jesus coming, as Herod did, as being an unwelcomed threat. Jesus is a threat? It is. It's true. He is a threat. A threat to your own love of yourself. He's a threat to a person's own ego. He's a threat to your own glorification and your own pride. When God Almighty points you and me to this humble little baby and he says, this is my son. This is the one That I have sent to be your Savior. I want you to repent of your sins, to turn from your sins, and to put your faith in this humble little one. When he does that, it forces us. It forces us to have to humble ourselves, to deny ourselves, to set aside our own sinful pride, and to admit, I don't have what it takes. I don't have the power. I don't have the ability to meet the expectations of God. And so I need to turn and put my trust in this seemingly little weak one. And for people who struggle with being full of ourselves, who struggle with selfishness, people who are full of sinful pride, this is something that's hard to do. Your sinful nature... The sinful nature that lives inside each and every single one of us. It views Jesus as being a troubling, alarming threat because it realizes that faith in Christ means that we should have a change in our lives. It means that we need to let go of, we need to put down sinful things. That we don't want these things in our lives or in our hearts. And yet, these sinful things sometimes, we grow to love them. And they take up residence in our hearts and in our lives. They are enthroned in our hearts in the place where Jesus is supposed to be. So, what is it that you and I struggle with? What is that thing that's in our heart that views Jesus as a threat? Maybe you struggle with your own selfishness, with with your own ego, like Herod did. Maybe it's your own love of money, being greedy. Maybe it's some sexual sinful thing that you're participating in that's not pleasing to god maybe it's an excessive intake of food or of drinking or of video games or of any other addiction that you might have maybe it's your love for juicy gossip and saying things that you're not supposed to say maybe it's your unwillingness to forgive how you'd rather hold on to a grudge, or how you'd rather take revenge on people who are out to get you, whatever it is, some other thing, even though God says to you and me that he wants us to repent or to perish, we are supposed to let go of our sins and trust in Christ, and yet... In spite of that, we have this sinful nature that stubbornly tries to hold on to all of these other sinful things. It's hard to let go of them. To not, we, we, we would rather not be sorry for these things. We would rather not actually amend our sinful lives. We would rather not evict or kick these things out of our hearts. Dear friends, beware of the Herod that's inside of you. If your reaction to Jesus and to what God and Jesus is asking of you, where He asks to have that place in your heart, if you ever hear and you balk at this call from God to repent, if you find that to be troubling, alarming, a threat, well, then recognize that your sinful nature is getting the better of you. Put it down. Evict it from your heart and mind. Say to yourself, Jesus is is not a threat to me. Just the opposite. He is my health and salvation. If he shares his law with with, with me, he does so out of love for me because he wants me to to have his salvation. If he wants me to put this sin away, to cut it out, I shouldn't double down against him, but listen to him. Going back to our text, another reaction that we find in our text is from all of Jerusalem. We're told in our text that all of Jerusalem was also alarmed, troubled. Now why is this? Shouldn't it have been just the opposite? These, these wise men show up and are saying, the Messiah is here. The new king has come. But they're met with, with alarm, with trouble. Well, that's because the people were fearful of King Herod and, and of his paranoia and of what Herod would do. Now, again, I find this to be very relatable to us still today. People, we, we get so worked up, we get anxious, we get fearful over worldly matters. How easy it is for us to turn on the news, to start following and go down this rabbit hole of, of politics and world affairs and And then we get worked up and alarmed in a sinful kind of way. Even later on, when Jesus was in his ministry, he faced this same kind of alarm from people who were so caught up in earthly things. The chief priests, the leaders of the people, they were worried that if people started following Jesus, well, that would... That would rock the boat, that would shake things up, turn over the apple cart, and it would destroy the peace and the political stability that those leaders had thought they had earned and achieved for themselves. What a silly thought. Jesus himself, he answers those concerns by saying, my kingdom, my concern is not of this world. He's concerned about the heavenly kingdom." And that's what we can say as well when we're tempted to be, to be alarmed at everything going on around us. Why should I be troubled? My time here is temporary. There's no need for me to be worried, anxious, fearful over, over government and politics and other earthly things. When we see all the doom and gloom around us and we're tempted to, to, to grow in and, and to become just lost in despair... You and I, we have the ability to stand with Job and to say the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God's got everything under control. What do we have to worry about? Do not be alarmed. In our text, Herod, he gathers together all of the people's chief priests and experts in the law. And he asks them, Well, where is this Christ, where is this chosen one of God supposed to be born? And they quoted, rightly so, from the the prophet Micah, pointing over to the nearby town of Bethlehem. And it wasn't like this was bad information. Herod took it at face value, and he, in fact, even sends those magi over to Bethlehem because of it. But what I find interesting is the reaction or rather the lack of reaction of those chief priests and experts in the law. Wouldn't they also want to take this short trip over to Bethlehem to see for themselves whether the Messiah had come? Didn't seem like it was worth their time or effort, I guess. These guys were ones who knew God's word and promises, these were the ones that God wanted to be eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come, for his arrival. But instead, here in our text, it seems that they're, they're almost apathetic. Their lack of a response to God's epiphany, to this revealing news that, that the new king has been born, is rather loud. Now, don't we know people like this today? Perhaps even you and I have acted like this ourselves. Think about it. God reveals, he has made known to you and to me through his word and sacraments that our sins are totally forgiven. He tells us that he loves us. He tells us that he smiles upon us and that he's going to do so forever in heaven. Greatest news imaginable. What is our reaction to that news? Are we celebrating like someone who's just hit their first hole-in-one on the golf course, rejoicing, celebrating? Or is it more like someone who's tapping in a six-inch putt for triple bogey? Oh well. You are handed a divine, miraculous treasure here in this place. I think we take that for granted sometimes. God himself comes to meet you and me here in this place through his word. Through his word that's shared with you in sermons or in in the liturgy, in our hymns, in Bible classes. How blessed we are that our school kids every single day get to hear directly from God's word. They get to hear this message that God loves them and forgives them. Here in this place, God comes and he washes us clean. He puts his own name upon us in holy baptism. He shares a feast with us as he gives us Jesus' body and blood in the Lord's Supper for the forgiveness of sins. It doesn't get any better than that. How great is this news? This is not something for us, dear friends, to be apathetic about, but instead to be joyful, to be rejoicing, to be praising God for this this wonderful epiphany that he has given to us. In contrast to all of these negative examples, these negative reactions, let's consider now the magi, the wise men. What was their reaction to this epiphany, this this new insight, this revealing of, of God's king, Well, these magi, these these wise men from the east, they reacted with excitement, with dedication, with commitment. These guys dropped everything. They packed up and they took this long journey so that they could bring their, their costliest treasures and worship this newborn king of the Jews. Now, it's interesting. We refer to them as wise men. And yet it's important for us to understand that it was definitely not their own wisdom or knowledge that brought them to Christ. These were individuals who would have been in the dark. These were foreigners who were outside of God's chosen people. And commentators will often point out that the term magi really has a dark connotation to it. These were advisors for foreign enemy kings and rulers They most likely were also magicians. They were practitioners of false religions and maybe even the dark arts. And yet God, in his divine wisdom and grace, chooses to reveal to these ones, these unexpected foreigners, he reveals to them the news of Jesus' birth. And he, God, guides and leads them to the King. There's a lot of application here for us to consider. Now first of all, the main point of Epiphany, one of the main themes of Epiphany is this, that God's plan of salvation is not intended just for one nation or one group of people. Here in this example, God shows his desires for all nations to walk to to his light. Both of our other lessons this morning emphasize that as well. St. Paul, in our epistle lesson, emphasized this is for for Jew and Gentile. This is an epiphany, this revelation of salvation. It's intended for all people. And that's so comforting for you and me because we also are counted among all people. That includes you and me. Even if you have been lost out in the darkness, even if you have the ugliest skeletons in your closet... Even if you've been in league practicing false religions in your past, even in league with the devil himself, God reveals to you and me that he has a Savior for us. And glory be to God, that Savior, at coming to this Savior, it doesn't depend upon us or on our own knowledge, our own efforts, our own work, our own understanding. St. Paul emphasized that, especially in in Romans chapter 3, leaving no one any room to boast. We can't point at ourselves and say, look what I have done. It's not about our ego, is it? But it's all about how God leads us. Every step of the wise men's journey to Jesus, it was led, it was directed by God right? First by this miraculous star that indicated that the new king had been born. Then when they get to Jerusalem, God continues to guide and lead them through his word, through the prophecy of Micah, pointing them and guiding them to Bethlehem. And then on their way there, they see again the star that leads them to the very house, the very place where Jesus would be found. God was the one that was constantly working and guiding them He was the one that was bringing these wise men to Jesus. And that's exactly what made them wise, isn't it? That they were willing to be led by God. They understood their own limitations. They understood that they could not, by their own reasoning or strength, come to Jesus. They understood that they needed God to lead them. And even after the fact, they continued to let God lead and direct them. As he appears to them in a dream and tells them to go back home a different way, away from Herod. And so it is with us. Who is it that brings you to Jesus? Does it depend upon our own understanding, our own wisdom, our own efforts, our own work? No. We trust in God to reveal to us everything that we need to know. God is the one who brings people to faith in Jesus. God is the one who works repentance in hearts, who causes us to to turn away from our sins and to then rejoice in and believe in, put our trust and faith, even in this humble little one of Bethlehem, who is in fact revealed to be the king of all. God leads you and me today Not as he did with the wise men, not through miraculous stars or through dreams, but we do have his holy word. You have the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation, which is God's word. That is our star that guides and leads us still today. We have this privilege of of having God come and share his message that guides us and leads us to our Savior And he gives us this word also as it's connected to water in baptism, to bread and wine in the Lord's Supper. He shares with us Jesus himself here in this place. He does that as he shares this amazing message. He is revealing to you a message that your sins are now forgiven because of this humble little one, this this little child born in Bethlehem, who is in fact the very son of God. And yet he is also a true man. He's your brother who came into this world to live for you. Never once did Jesus find God's law to be a threat. Never did he let any selfishness, pride, ego, fear, worry, or apparent apathy get the better of him. Jesus lived a perfect life holy life of righteousness. And that life of righteousness is what now covers and counts for everyone who puts their trust, their faith in him. That's the righteousness that now covers you, dear friends. What else has God revealed to us? What kind of epiphany has he given to us in his word? He points you and me also to the cross. And there he says, your sins are wiped out by the blood of my son, Jesus. They are now paid for in full. Your debt is covered. Throw your sins to the cross. Don't hang on to them. Let go of them. Have Jesus pay for them. And what a glorious epiphany, revelation we hear that we now, because of Jesus and what he's done on the cross, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We also rejoice to find in God's word another epiphany, the epiphany of Easter morning where that tomb is open and empty. And that is where God shows us what is in store for all who put their hope, their trust in Jesus. Someday your grave is going to be open and empty. It's going to be broken. And the message is going to be not here because you and I are not going to be found among the dead. We will be with the living in the glorious eternal life of heaven. What a wonderful message. What a glorious thing God has revealed to you and me now through through our guiding star, the Holy Scriptures. This epiphany, this revealing, this insight, this information about our Savior is the greatest treasure that anyone can ever have, and it belongs to you. God has shared this freely with you. Your sins are forgiven. You belong to God. You are counted among God's saints. Knowing that, knowing that, we happily then join the magi in the reaction that they have as they come before Jesus. They are happy that they are led by God, that they are shown the king, They are happy to come and worship before him, offering him their gifts. Dear friends, we see many different epiphany reactions. It's my prayer that that God continues to lead each and every single one of us to Jesus and to give us hearts that, that are rejoicing in knowing that he has led us to our king, to our savior, Jesus Christ, All glory be to him. Amen. The peace of God that passes all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds through faith in Jesus. Amen.